Questions to the Prime Minister, Mr. Andrew Rosendale. Question one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, today is the centenary of the Qualification of Women Act, when women were when women were first allowed to stand for public office, and I'm delighted that the first woman to take her seat in the House of Commons was a Conservative. Women women are coming. Women are coming from Mr Speaker, women women are coming from all over the UK to the hashtag AskHerToStand Day with MPs from every party extending invitations to their constituents. This will be an inspirational day that the Government is delighted to support, and we hope it will encourage many more women to consider standing for political office, both locally and nationally. Um, Mr Speaker, it is appropriate that we are reminded of the significant contribution made to this House by female MPs, including the fine example set by the late Joe Cox. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Andrew Rosendale. Uh, The Prime Minister will know that what drives me in politics has always been a love of country and a passionate belief in our United Kingdom. And so I have to tell the Prime Minister that I agree with the people of Romford, who are deeply unhappy by the proposed EU deal, which they believe does not represent the Brexit they voted for. Will she now, even at this late stage, please think again and instead lead our country in a new direction, completely cutting away the tentacles of the EU over our cherished island nation once and for all? I say to my honourable friend, I think, I think that people across the country who voted to leave the European Union voted to bring an end to free movement. Our deal delivers an end to free movement. They voted to bring an end to the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice in the UK. Our deal delivers an end to the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. They voted for us to stop sending vast annual sums of money to the European Union every year so we could spend that money on our priorities, and we will be able to do that, priorities like the National Health Service. But the European Union remains a close trading partner to the United Kingdom. As we leave the EU, we want to ensure we continue to have a good trading relationship with the European Union, and we will be able to have an independent trade policy that enables us to make decisions to trade around the rest of the world. My honourable friend is indeed a passionate champion of the United Kingdom, but he is also a passionate champion of the links that the United Kingdom has around many parts of the world, including with the Commonwealth, which can be enhanced when we leave the European Union. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I thank you for welcoming Fazella Aswat to Parliament today, a most welcome guest. Mr. Speaker, on the 100th anniversary of the Qualification of Women's Act, I join the Prime Minister in welcoming all women to Parliament today as part of the Ask Her to Stand campaign. We need a Parliament that truly does represent the diversity of the whole of this country. 
Now that um, a number of government ministers have confirmed this morning that leaving the EU with no deal is not an option, does the Prime Minister agree there are no circumstances under which Britain would leave with no deal? No, I have to say to the right honourable gentleman, I have consistently made clear on this point but the, the point that has been made by a number of my colleagues in relation to the vote that will come before this House on a meaningful vote on a deal from the European Union is very, is very simple. If you look at the alternative to having that deal with the European Union, it will either be more uncertainty, more division, or it could risk no Brexit at all. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister didn't answer the question, is this the final deal or not? The Work and Pensions Secretary says, this is the deal, it's been baked. Well, it's half-baked. But other members of the Cabinet want amendments to the withdrawal agreement. The Leader of the House said last week, there is, and I quote, still the potential to improve on some of the measures. That's what I'm hoping to help with. Can the Prime Minister clarify whether last week's withdrawal agreement is the final text or is there another text that's on its way to us? I have to say to the right honourable gentleman that he won't get any different answers from this than he's had from me previously. The package of a deal that we, will be, we are negotiating with the European Union has two parts to it. There's the leaving part, which is the withdrawal agreement, and there's a the future relationship, which is what is currently being, continuing to be negotiated with the European Union. They go together as a package. Yes, the withdrawal agreement has been agreed in principle. The whole package will be what is uh, brought before this House, will be what is considered at the European Union Council on uh, Sunday. And we continue to negotiate on that future relationship to get the good deal that we believe is right for the United Kingdom, a good deal that protects jobs, protects our union and protects our security. Jeremy Corbyn! The Prime Minister is apparently heading off to Brussels today, but the new Brexit... Secretary is another non-travelling Brexit Secretary who is apparently not going with her. I, I wonder if the post is now. I wonder if the post is now an entirely ceremonial one. Uh, Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister's agreement doesn't specify how much we would have to pay to extend the transition period. Can she confirm? the choice facing the country would either be the backstop or paying whatever the EU asked us to pay to prolong that transition period. No, the right honourable gentleman, the right honourable gentleman is wrong on that. The choice that would be facing, if it were the case, let's just, just, just remind ourselves what we're talking about here. We're talking about the guarantee to the people of Northern Ireland that there will be no hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland. And the choice that we face, first of all, that is best ensured by getting the future relationship in place by the end of December 2020. In the event that that was not the case for a temporary period and an interim arrangement was in place, the choice the Right Honourable Gentleman has set out is not the choice that would be before us. What we have, yes, there would be the backstop in the protocol, yes, there would be the extension of the implementation period, but what we have also negotiated in the withdrawal agreement is that alternative arrangements could be in place. The key is that they guarantee no hard border between Northern Ireland and Ireland. Nicole, 
The truth is, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister's idea of taking back control of our money is to hand the EU a blank cheque and after 2020, no rebate for the UK. Mr Speaker, the EU's trade deal with Canada took seven years to agree. The deal with Singapore, eight years. The Business Secretary said this week that transition will have to be extended until the end of 2022. Outside the EU and with no leverage, does the Prime Minister think she's fooling anyone by suggesting there will be a free trade agreement finalised by December 2020? The future relationship that we are negotiating will set out the uh, structure and scope of that uh, deal that we will be uh, ensuring that we can negotiate in legal text once we leave the European Union. But the right honourable gentleman, the right honourable gentleman, I think people will have seen from his uh, question previously to me, has shown the problem that he has with this deal. He hasn't even read it. He doesn't know what's in it. He says there's a problem with the deal and he would do it differently. He wants to negotiate, renegotiate the withdrawal agreement, but as I say, he hasn't read it. He wants to oppose any deal, no matter how good it is for the UK, but he will accept any European Union deal, no matter how bad it is for the UK. And then he wants to use, he wants to use the implementation period that he would vote against to renegotiate the treaty that delivers the implementation period. And he said another referendum isn't an issue for today, but it could be an issue for tomorrow. He doesn't know how he'd vote, he doesn't know when it would be, he doesn't even know what the question would be. That's not leadership, that's playing party politics. I'm working in the national interest. Mr Speaker, it's her government that's got us into this shambles and she knows well, she knows full well that the new European Parliament... Order! Nobody in this chamber will be shouted down and we've often heard it said with high authority from the respective front benches that that would be bad behaviour. It's happening now. Stop it because it won't work. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister knows full well that with a new European Parliament in place next summer and a new European Commission at the same time, the negotiations for a future trade agreement will only have less than a year to do if she's to achieve what she claims she can do. In February, the Prime Minister said that creating a customs and regulatory border down the Irish Sea is something that, and I quote, no UK Prime Minister could ever agree to. Can the Prime Minister explain why the backstop would agreement would create exactly that border? <laughs> now, I have to say, I have to say the right honourable gentleman, it would not create exactly that. Between, 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 from February until in the last few weeks, the European Union said that the only answer was a Northern Ireland customs territory only answer in relation to the guarantee to the people of Northern Ireland. We argued and we resisted and we made clear that we would not accept 
the position of the European Union, and a few weeks ago they agreed with our position. They conceded to the United Kingdom so that there will not be a customs border down the Irish Sea. I think this becomes even clearer that the Right Honourable Gentleman does not actually know what is in the withdrawal agreement, what is in the protocol, and what is in the outline political declaration. We talk about a, no, no, we talk about a second referendum. Never mind a second referendum. He has not got a first clue. Well, with the shambles this government's got into, it's a good idea. Other people are not ruling out all options. Mr Speaker, um, there, is an entire, there is an entire protocol, an entire protocol in the withdrawal agreement setting out regulations that apply only to Northern Ireland. She clearly didn't discuss these draft agreement with the DUP because their Brexit spokesperson said, and I quote, we are clear, we will not be voting for this humiliation. Mr Speaker, this deal is a failure. It fails the Prime Minister's red lines, fails Labour's six tests. And failed to impress the new and failed to impress the new Northern Ireland Minister, the new Northern Ireland Minister, who just hours before he was appointed said, the deal is dead. Instead of giving confidence to the millions of people who voted both leave and remain, this half-baked deal fails to give any hope that can bring the country together again. Isn't the case? Isn't it the case that Parliament will rightly reject this deal, this bad deal? And if the government can't negotiate an alternative, then they should make way for those who can and will. The public, the public gave us an instruction to leave the European Union, and we should all be acting to deliver that. All he wants to do is to play party politics. He's, he's, he... Order! Order! Mr Kinnock, you are a cerebral denizen of the House. Gesticulation and shouting are way beneath your pay grade, man. Calm yourself and develop some sense of repose. I said the Leader of the Opposition shouldn't be shouted at. The Prime Minister should not be shouted at. Let's hear the reply. The Prime Minister. The Right Honourable Gentleman is playing party politics. He's opposing a deal he hasn't read. He's promising a deal he can't negotiate. He's telling Leave voters one thing and Remain voters another. Whatever, whatever the Right Honourable Gentleman might do, I will act in the national interest. Mr. Neil Parrish. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister, I'm a great supporter of yours, and along with the British people, I accept what a difficult and tough job you have. There is much in the withdrawal agreement that I agree with, especially on food and farming, but it is not good enough as it stands. The Northern Ireland backstop threatens the integrity of the United Kingdom and weakens our negotiating position. And my farming instincts tell me I know that you do not hand over 39 billion before we get the deal. 
Please, can I ask you, Prime Minister, to listen to these concerns and renegotiate the deal before we put it on the floor of this House? I say to my honourable friend that he's mentioned the issue of paying over money to the European Union. Uh, As I have consistently said, as I indicated, I had hoped in the first answer I gave to the Leader of the Opposition, nothing is agreed until everything is agreed, and we remain negotiating on that future future framework. In relation to the £39 billion, which I would remind my honourable friend is significantly less than the £100 billion the European Union were first talking about us uh, needing to pay, These are about the legal obligations that the United Kingdom has, and I hope that every member of this House will recognise that the United Kingdom is a country that meets the legal obligations that we have. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I also welcome the anniversary of the Act that gave women the right to be represented in Parliament? Of course, it was a nationalist that was first elected to this Parliament, but we can only celebrate success when women are properly represented in this Parliament. Mr Speaker, yesterday the Prime Minister met with the First Minister of Scotland. The First Minister made it clear there are other alternatives to her government's Brexit plan. Was the Prime Minister listening? Yep. Ah. I, I have to say to the right honourable gentleman, of course I heard what the First Minister said. The First Minister's alternative is for the United Kingdom to stay in the single market and stay in the customs union. And that's what we will not do. Ian Blackford. Mr Speaker, this is exasperating. At least staying in the single market and the customs union has some support in this place. Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker. When we look at the report from the UN Rapporteur this week, up to a quarter of the... Order! 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 The leader of the Scottish National Party will be heard. I don't think members will want to hear the question again and again and again. But let's be absolutely clear that if they... Order! If they shout their heads off, they'll have to hear it not once, not twice, but possibly three times. Mr Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In the week where we hear from the UN Rapporteur that up to a quarter of the people of the United Kingdom are living in poverty, something the DWP also recognises, why doesn't the Prime Minister recognise the scale of the challenge that Brexit is only going to make worse? Why doesn't she realise that she has a responsibility to protect jobs and communities in this country. For once, start to listen. Go back to Brussels. Recognise that we all have an interest in this. Let's all work together to make sure we protect the interests of people in Scotland and elsewhere in the United Kingdom. Make sure that you go back and negotiate. Let's keep us in the single market and the customs union. The right honourable gentleman says let's work together on this issue, but the position that he has and that his party has is one which would frustrate the vote of the British people in relation to leaving the European Union. He talks about protecting jobs, that's exactly what the deal that we're proposing does, and and he he talks also about listening. Well, perhaps the SNP should listen to the people of Scotland who gave a very clear view that Scotland should remain in its most important economic market, the internal market of the United Kingdom. Alan Mack. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 20-year-old Tommy Cowan 
and 18-year-old Georgia Jones, both from Havant, were sold ecstasy at a music festival and tragically lost their lives afterwards. As the inquest continues, will my writable friend set out the work being done to tackle the drug dealers that prey on our young people? Yeah. Yeah. And also join me in sending the condolences of the whole house to their families and friends. Yeah. Well, I, I, can I say to my honourable friend that I'm, I'm sure that all members from all sides of this house will want to join me in offering our deepest condolences to the families of Georgia Jones and Tommy Cowan after their tragic deaths. Uh, my my honourable friend knows drugs can devastate lives, it can ruin families, it can damage, they can damage communities. What our comprehensive drug strategy does is set out a balanced approach of bringing together the police, the health community and global partners to tackle the illicit drugs trade and to protect the most vulnerable in our society. And tough enforcement is a fundamental part of that. We're taking a smarter approach to restricting the supply, adapting our approach to reflect changes in criminal activity, using innovative data and technology, and taking coordinated partnership action to tackle drugs alongside other criminal activity. And of course, the role of the National Crime Agency is a key element in our dealing with the uh, in dealing with the uh, terrible, uh, terrible things. Uh, aspect of drugs that can cause so much harm to people. But of course there is more that we need to do to prevent harms and to prevent tragic deaths such as those of Georgia and Tommy. Mike Amesbury. Thank you Mr Speaker. Over the past three weeks I've surveyed 42 schools in my (laughs) Weavervel constituency. More than £3.4 million will be taken from their budgets and 60% of these schools have cut staff. The Prime Minister's claim that austerity is over is as credible as her Brexit plan. Will the Prime Minister get a grip or step aside? I say to the honourable gentleman, he will he will know that we are putting extra money into he'll know we're putting extra money into school funding. He will know that obviously we've changed the national funding formula to make that fairer across the country. And he will also, I would hope, welcome the fact that in the North West we now see over eight hundred and ninety-five thousand children at good or outstanding schools. Uh, that's an increase of over 175,000 children since 2010. The Honourable Gentleman focuses on the money going into schools. He also needs to look at the outcomes from schools and the excellent work that is being done by our teachers and the children who are now in good and outstanding schools who weren't in good and outstanding schools under the last Labour government. Yeah, Robert yeah, yeah. Uh, thank yeah, you, Mr yeah. Speaker. Uh, will my right honourable friend join me in welcoming Debbie Pritchard, a specialist teacher from Harlow, who's visiting us uh, for Ask Her to Stand Day and watching from the public gallery. Does she agree with me that it's not just a question of getting more women into Parliament, but encouraging women from all walks of life, especially from disadvantaged and low-income backgrounds and working-class backgrounds as well? And does my right honourable friend support initiatives from the Conservative Foundation, the Conservative Candidate Bursary Scheme, to enable more women to access public life? Can I I say to uh, my right honourable friend, I'm very happy to welcome his constituent, Debbie Pritchard. I hope that his constituent will uh, consider standing for Parliament. Uh, We talk about diversity in Parliament in relation to getting more women into Parliament, but my right honourable friend is also right. We need to ensure that we have people from a wide variety of backgrounds and with a wide variety of experience in this chamber, because that is the way that we get better decisions being taken in this chamber. And I'm pleased that the Conservative Party has been taking action through the 
bursary scheme and through the work it's doing to support disabled people getting into, uh, into politics, to encouraging people with a wide range of backgrounds and with a wide range of experience to stand for Parliament and represent constituents in this chamber. Caroline Lucas. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has just repeated that voting down her deal risks no Brexit at all. Does she recognise that, far from being a risk, recent polls show that actually a vast majority of people would like no Brexit at all in order to save jobs, protect the environment and ensure our standing in the world? So will she acknowledge that the will of the people can change? The will of the people has changed. And will she therefore think that the way forward is a people's vote or does she think democracy ended on the 23rd of June 2016? Can I say to the Honourable Lady that claim in relation to democracy is absolutely ridiculous. This, this, this Parliament gave people the right to choose whether to remain in the European Union or to leave the European Union. People exercised that vote. We saw numbers of people voting that we had not seen before. It was a great exercise in democracy in this country, and I believe that that gave this gave this Parliament an instruction. We should ensure that we leave the European Union as the people voted. Robert Neil. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I refer to my entry in the Register of Interests. There are no people more proudly and passionately British than the people of Gibraltar. The agreed text of the withdrawal agreement gives significant and important safeguards to them in the text and in the protocol. Will my right honourable friend make clear that under no circumstances will she permit that text to be reopened to put those safeguards at risk and that she will under no circumstances permit Spain to seek to exclude the people of Gibraltar from discussions on the future arrangements? Can I say to my honourable friend that we are absolutely steadfast, as he is, in our support for Gibraltar, its people and its economy. And we've always been clear that Gibraltar is covered by our exit negotiations and we've been committed to fully involve them as we exit the European Union. We are seeking a deal that works for the whole UK family and that deal must work for Gibraltar too. I'm pleased that we have agreed a protocol, as my honourable friend knows, on Gibraltar that will form part of a wider package of agreements between the UK, Spain and the Government of Gibraltar, setting out the party's commitment to cooperation. But I've been clear we will not exclude Gibraltar from our negotiations on the future relationship. We want a deal that works for the whole UK family and that includes Gibraltar. Well, Turner. Because the government snuck out changes to the police pension scheme, Umbersage Chief Constable Lee Freeman has written to MPs describing the impact as devastating. If the government doesn't change tact, it would cost the force 9.2 million. It would mean doing away with 130 police officers or all 250 PCSOs. Is the Prime Minister worried about this? Or is the Chief Constable scaremongering and just crying wolf. Honourable gentleman, he says that these pension changes were, I think the phrase he used, snuck out. Uh, this is not the case. These pension changes, this pension uh, issue has been uh, known of, has been known of for two, I think it's two years uh, that this has been under consideration. So it is not the case that this has been snuck out. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, in, in all my time as a mortgage broker, Um, When I had a remortgaging client, I never once recommended that they should stick with the standard variable rate. They'd have more freedom and they could leave the deal when they wanted without penalties, but it was bog standard and nobody ever wanted it. So given that my right honourable friend is receiving representations to ditch her deal for WTO terms, will she explain that putting aside the worst case scenario 
uh, of no deal. In the very best case scenario of WTO terms, they are bog standard, average terms, far worse than the preferential tariff free access we currently enjoy and which she has negotiated to maintain. Can I say to my honourable friend, he's right that we want to negotiate a deal, a trading deal with the European Union that is on better terms than WTO, and there are many, there are many people across this House who want to see the United Kingdom, as we will do when we've left the EU, negotiating trade deals around the rest of the world that, is, that are on better than WTO terms. That's because we believe that is best for the United Kingdom economy, and if we're negotiating on better than WTO terms with the rest of the world, then it makes sense to be negotiating on better than WTO terms with the European Union. Sangam Debonair. The Prime Minister, the Prime Minister said school funding is up, and it is. But pupil numbers are up. Yeah. Costs are up. Yes. So the Institute for Fiscal Studies says that since 2010, there's been an 8% real terms per pupil cut. How can the Prime Minister expect anybody to trust her on anything when she can't get her numbers right? I say to the Honourable Lady, as I have said before in this chamber, overall per pupil funding is being protected in real terms by this government. The funding, the core schools budget this year at 42 billion will be its highest ever level. We're protecting through the pupil premium this year. We're giving 2.4 billion to support those who need it most. The core schools budget is rising by nearly 2.6 billion across this year and the next. But what we have also done, alongside putting extra money into schools, is introduced a fairer national funding formula, which ensures that we see a fairer distribution of that money across the country. Nicholas Soames. Mr Speaker, would my right honourable friend affirm to this House today and to the President of the Commission tonight that as we move to honour the result of the referendum, it will remain our firmest intention to retain the closest possible relationships with our European friends and allies in the very best interests of both. Can I say to my right honourable friends that I am happy to give that commitment. I think it is important for us to recognise that while we're leaving the European Union, we're not leaving Europe. We do want to continue to have a good, not just a good trading relationship and a close trading partnership with uh, the European Union, but actually we want to continue to have that close security and defence partnership that we have had with the European Union and other countries across Europe as well. This is what makes sense, as my right honourable friend says, not just for the UK, but for all those European Union member states as well. Mr Gavin Shuker. Mr Speaker, since her modern slavery bill passed, the Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland and France have joined Norway, Sweden and Iceland in passing a sex bylaw. That makes us an even more lucrative market for sex traffickers because we're now effectively surrounded by states which tackle the demand that drives commercial sexual exploitation. In responding to the independent review of her legislation, five years on, will she now commit to look seriously at sex by law? 
Here. 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 Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, he raises a very important issue, obviously, and having introduced the Modern Slavery Act, I'm pleased to say that between 2015 and 2017, we've seen a 52% increase in modern slavery offences prosecuted. Uh, there's more for us to do, but we should welcome the uh, change that has already taken place. But he asked specifically about the sex buyer law. Separate to the review of the Modern Slavery Act, the Home Office has provided funds for research into the nature and prevalence of sex work in England and Wales, and that follows a report by the Home Affairs Select Committee on Prostitution. And as I'm sure the Honourable Gentleman will appreciate, we believe that an evidence base is vital before considering any changes in this area. The research that's taking place will be completed next spring. Esther McVeigh. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can the Prime Minister assure the House today, as she has done on many other occasions, that the UK will be leaving the EU on the 29th of March 2019, come what may? Yeah, yeah. Yes, can I, can, I, can I first of all thank my right honourable friend for the work that she did as uh, Secretary of State for Work and Pensions? And, and indeed work that she had done as a minister previously, because the Disability Confidence Scheme particularly uh, has had an impact, which she championed and continues to champion, has had an impact on the lives of working uh, people, uh, of people who are disabled. And I can, give her, I can give her the assurance that the United Kingdom will leave the European Union on the 29th of March 2019. Colleen Fletcher. Last Friday, during Parliament Week, I visited St Elizabeth's School in my constituency to meet with the school's council. The children told me that rising crime levels and falling police officer numbers have made them fearful of using and enjoying their local park, the one near their school. Can the Prime Minister tell the school council, and they may be listening today, what strategy the government is deploying to ensure that all young people feel and are safe from crime on our streets and in our public spaces? The Honourable Lady raises an important point. We want young people to be able to, to feel secure if they're in the, uh, walking in, through the streets or if they're in a park uh, and gathering with, uh, with their friends. What we need to do in looking at the concern that has been expressed about crime, and particularly I recognise the concern that's been expressed about knife crime and levels of knife crime, is actually tackle this in a number of different ways across the board. It's about ensuring we have the right powers for the police, it's about ensuring that we have the right uh, system in the criminal justice system, but it is also about providing education for young people about the risks of carrying knives. It is also about providing alternatives to those young people who uh, who are tempted to join gangs, because a lot of the crime that we see is related to gang activity. So this is something that has to be addressed across the board, but I recognise the importance of doing that to ensure that young people have the security and safety and confidence that they need. George Freeman. Speaker, unlike the Leader of the Opposition, I and colleagues have read the draft withdrawal agreement. Yeah. And the many briefings, and it's clear to me that the Prime Minister and her Cabinet have laudably tried to reconcile the demand for continuity of market access today with freedom to diverge tomorrow. Isn't the truth of the backstop as drafted that if and as we were to exercise our regulatory freedom, whether in agri-food or in data protection, we would harden, allow the EU to harden the border between Great Britain and Northern Ireland? Can the Prime Minister reassure me and seek reassurance in Brussels today? that this draft doesn't contain a trap, that if we dare to diverge, we undermine our union. Yeah. Can I say to the, the, uh, my honourable friend, 
First of all, as he will know, there are a number of ways, as I set out earlier, if it is the case that it is necessary to have an interim arrangement to provide this guarantee in relation to the border of Northern Ireland, there are a number of ways in which, which that can be achieved. Uh, the backstop as identified in the protocol, the uh, extension of the implementation period or alternative arrangements. Uh, and work is being done on those. Uh, what I also say to my honourable friend is that the backstop is intended to be a temporary arrangement, and for that limited period of time, if he, if he just casts his mind to a, a sort of practical thought about what could happen, if we were in the situation where the backstop had to be in place for a matter of months, for example, I think, and I think that it would be right for this United Kingdom to give this uh, commitment that we would not be looking to diverge during that period of, uh, from regulations during that period, that we would ensure that we kept that free access uh, for the uh, goods from Northern Ireland to uh, coming into Great Britain, as we have committed in the withdrawal agreement, in, in the uh, text that is, uh, that is set out, and we had committed previously. That will be, of course, a decision for us here, but what is important is that we have a means of ensuring that the backstop remains temporary. The best means of doing that is what we're in at the moment, negotiating the future relationship, which will ensure that the backstop does, if it is ever used, remain temporary and preferably is never used at all. Marion Fellows. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The United Nations has recently joined with other radical organisations like the <laughs> National Audit Office in condemning the government's failure to address the tragedy, which is poverty. Which of the fundamental failures in implementing universal credit does this Prime Minister most regret? Her failure to fund this fully or the decision taken to triple the time that those who need a safety net have to wait to receive payments to which they are fully entitled? Well, the, the Honourable Lady will know that we made changes to universal credit to ensure that people are able to access 100% of their payments at uh, uh, the earliest possible stage, if that's what's necessary. But she raises the issue of poverty. Let me just give her a few figures. There are one million fewer people in absolute poverty today, a record low. There are 300,000 fewer children in absolute poverty, a record low. And there are 637,000 fewer children living in workless households, a record low. That's the action of this government and the impact of universal credit. Crispin Blunt. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, Durham University PhD student Matthew Hedges was arrested when he was leaving the UAE, having completed his research into the impact of the Arab Spring on the UAE's foreign policy. He has now been sentenced to life imprisonment for spying for the United Kingdom. Um, a number of us will note the irony of a former MI6 officer who works in the outer office um, of the ruler, of the de facto ruler of uh, the UAE, who has organised many of the excellent visits from this House uh, to the UAE. Um, but this is wholly inconsistent uh, with the behaviour of a nation with whom we have a mutual defence accord. And will the Prime Minister please give this her urgent attention? And if he's not released, I don't see why we should be committed to their defence. I say to uh, my honourable friend, we are, of course, as he is, 
deeply disappointed and concerned at today's verdict, and I realise how difficult and distressing this is, both for Matthew Hedges but for also for his family. Uh, we are raising it with the Emirati authorities at the highest level. My right honourable friend, the Foreign Secretary, is urgently seeking a call with the Foreign Minister, Abdullah bin Zayed. During his visit to the UAE on November the 12th, he raised the issue with both Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed and the Foreign Minister. And uh, I can assure my honourable friend and other members that the Foreign Office will remain in close contact with Matthew, his family and his lawyer. We will continue to do all we can to support them as they consider the next steps and we will continue to press this matter at the highest level with the Emiratis. Angela Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister is having a rough old time of it at the moment, but I'm sure she recognises I'm sure she recognises that there are issues other than Brexit that we need to be dealing with. On that basis, can I ask the Prime Minister, on behalf of my constituent Claire Throssell, whether we are going to get the promised domestic violence bill on the statute book before the end of the parliamentary session? Can I, can I first of all send my deepest condolences to Claire Throssell? Uh, and the Honourable Lady's constituent, and I'd like to pay tribute for the fantastic work that she does as an ambassador for women's aid. Uh, we are committed to transforming the response to domestic violence. The consultation we took that took place in the spring received over 3,200 responses. I think that shows the degree of concern that people have about this issue of domestic violence and the recognition of the need to look carefully at the legislation on this. I understand the Home Office will be publishing a response to the consultation together with the draft domestic abuse bill later this session. All of the evidence shows that diversity delivers better decision-making, yet over the last 100 years in this place, 4,503 men have been elected and just 491 women. Now, I'm proud that two of those Conservative women became Prime Minister. Yeah. But can the right honourable, my right honourable friend share with me what she feels that Parliament, as well as the political parties, could be doing to help encourage more of the women who are with us here today as part of the Ask Her to Stand campaign actually do go forward and stand for election and join us on these green benches? Yeah. Can I say to my right honourable friend that I'm, uh, thank, I thank her for championing this cause. I think this is so important. She's absolutely right that greater diversity in this place actually means that we get better decisions. That's the same for Parliament as it is for a business uh, or indeed any organisation. Can I also say to my right honourable friend that I think we should send a very, very clear message from everybody across this House about the significance of the work that an individual Member of Parliament does and the change they can make for their community. I think this is one of the best, being a Member of Parliament is one of the best jobs in the world. It is, gives an opportunity to make a real difference to the lives of people. It's an opportunity to be a real voice for those whose voice otherwise would not be heard. And it is a real opportunity to take decisions that will lead our country forward and provide a better future for people's children and grandchildren. It's a great job and I encourage all the women who are here today and thinking of standing to stand for Parliament, get elected and make a difference. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. In the December joint report agreed between the European Union and the United Kingdom, it was agreed that Northern Ireland would have the final say on whether or not it diverged from the UK single market and was subjected to single market European rules with no say. Why has the Prime Minister deleted all reference to that in the withdrawal agreement? Did she push the delete button? 
the right honourable, can I say to the right honourable gentleman, of course he's absolutely right about the December joint report. The issue of what the process is would be within the United Kingdom to look at this issue of regulatory uh, uh, of regulations is a matter that will be a matter for this United Kingdom to determine, to determine both our parliamentary rules, our parliamentary decisions on that, and indeed the Stormont Lock that was expressed in the December joint report. Of course, as the right honourable gentleman will always also know, the lock that was in the December joint report referred to a decision being taken by the Northern Ireland Executive and Northern Ireland Assembly, which sadly we do not have in place today. Heidi Allen. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. On Monday of this week, I heard something I never want to hear again. A young woman in her 30s actively researching funeral plans because she knows she has cystic fibrosis and there is no cure. It was a, an event organised by my honourable friend for Dudley North for cystic fibrosis sufferers. And this is about the conversation that NICE NHS England Vertex, reaching this impasse for almost three years now to access or can be to um, patients who need it. Pharmaceuticals, of course, are entitled to make profit. R&D is expensive and it's lengthy. But when it comes to our Health Select Committee having to ask for transparency on the finances to try and break the impasse here, we have to do something differently. Mm. Looking at the huge global forward profits for Vertex, I would ask the Prime Minister, would she personally work with the Secretary of State for Health to break this impasse and get Vertex to those patients who are desperate to relieve their symptoms from cystic fibrosis? Well said. Can I say to the Honourable Aide, my Honourable Friend, that she has raised what I know has been an important question. It's been raised in this House before, and I recognise the concern about the, uh, the length of time that this issue is being worked on. The Department of Health and Social Care is working with both NICE and the NHS. They've made uh, the single biggest drug offer, I believe, in the NHS's history to Vortex, the pharma company, and Vortex need to work with NICE to get this approved. But I will ensure that the concern that, she has, uh, that has been expressed, and I know exists in relation to this matter, is uh, fully made clear to the Department of Health and Social Care in the work that they're doing with NICE, the NHS and the pharma company to ensure that the result is one which is of benefit to those patients who are looking desperately for this drug. Okay. Sir Vincent Cable. Uh, Article 171 of the Withdrawal Agreement says that in the event of deadlock in the arbitration panel on a dispute on the, uh, any aspect of the treaty, the chair who has the decisive vote will be chosen by lots. Now, I know the government is close to the gambling industry, uh, but isn't it uh, rather reckless to leave crucial decisions of national importance under the withdrawal agreement to the toss of a coin? Can I say to the right honourable gentleman that we have put in place arbitration uh, arrangements which mirror arbitration arrangements which exist in other international treaties, and he will also be aware that it does say in the withdrawal agreement that in identifying individuals who would be capable of sitting on that arbitration panel, uh, the names, I think the number is given is five individuals, will be, cho- will be identified as those who will be suitable to be chairman of, that, uh, chairman, uh, uh, of the uh, panel. Thank you.